Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Before we start the show today, I want to call out a big announcement for one of our partners, Spartan Forge. Uh, I'm sure if you've been listening to our show, you've heard of them and they're starting to make their debut across social platforms and and via the internet. Uh, They're good friends of ours. And if you haven't heard of them, I encourage you, highly encourage you to head over to SpartanForge.ai. They've just launched their newest product, the Outfitter. Uh, It is the only deer movement prediction software that uses real deer GPS tracking collars, and it's millions of data points over the course of several years, and they've baked in and created an AI or artificial intelligence data model to help make sure you're in the field and where you need to be uh, when the deer are going to be on hoof. Um, So again, please check these guys out and uh, go to spartanforge.ai. And I want to say .ai.com, but it's just .ai, and uh, engineer your pursuit. Where to hunt podcast. It's okay. Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Man, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bowhunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. It's decent. It's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts Oh boy. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the where to. Just get that fixed right away. Hey, that's a perfect way to say this is the okayest podcast in the Midwest. Oh, you did it. <laughs> and we're uh, we're coming at you from the OKS Hunter Podcast Studio. Greg's back here in the studio with us, so I won't interrupt him nearly as much. It's fine. <laughs> see, I knew you were going to say that because I could see your face. <laughs> this is good stuff. Um, hey, head on over to okshunter.com. Use code W2H Podcast for. 10% off, and I think through today, they're running a 20% off on stickers, decals, and the this hat right here, the leather patch hat. Um, and uh, actually, those things are like just about out of stock, actually. So, like, if you want one, you, know, you really might want to hurry up, actually. So, I think I've said actually three times in the last 30 seconds, actually. What else you got to say? Uh, well, I mean, this is like a good time for us to kind of catch up for a minute here. You missed out on deer camp, unfortunately, but you're back and you're healthy and everything's yeah, okay. Yeah, I had two family members that came down with COVID, so I didn't think it was a good idea because I had contact with them to potentially spread that around deer camp. That's a good Executive idea. Executive decision made, and so be it. They'll be yeah. next year. We're all thankful for that. We're also not thankful that you weren't there, so it's like a bittersweet, unfortunate thing. Uh, we did have an OKS Hunter story there. Uh, <clears throat> Mike... Mike, who listens to this every so often, totally had one of the most okayest moments I've ever witnessed in my hunting career so so far. So listen to the podcast tonight or tomorrow, and I'll share that story in there. Um, and we got some sponsorships to call out. We're drinking some Drop Time Spirits. That's the uh, official drink of the podcast, the 12-point mm. bourbon. It's um, delicious. It is. We had some moonshine at Deer Camp, their moonshine. Um, that is also pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's good chilled. Yes. Yeah. And... Uh, we don't have a code for those guys yet, so that's okay. We also uh, are brought to you by Fleet Farm. I spend way too much money at Fleet Farm. <laughs> Easy to do. I've continued to spend too much money. You got at Fleet kids Farm. and pets and everything else. Oh man, you can get anything there. Yeah, you get your gas, your snacks. Uh, actually, um, you could buy your deer tags there still, technically, right? Your any tag, hunting license. Um, what else? Beer. We got lots of beer there. Lots of food. I got a new pair of boots. Two new pairs of boots this season. Uh, one is not like a hunting boot. It's just like a walking around boot. 
Because I have like too many pairs of hunting boots, apparently. You can never have too many pairs of hunting boots. There's one for every condition, and then there's more. Yeah, that is the that is the rub. Um, anyway, I think our code for them is W2H10. So that's going to get you 10% off of most things there, except for like a few exceptions, like uh, some big name brand stuff and like lottery tickets and things like that. So, um, but you can do like online purchase and pick up in the store, or you can just have it shipped to your house. Like everybody else is doing these days, uh, whatever you're comfortable with, but you can't use that like at the counter. I don't know how they would do that. So that's how that works. Uh, we got a couple others and then we'll, we'll get, we'll get her going here. Wake up and smell the coffee. Backwoods grind coffee, that is. Now this ain't your fancy schmancy city boy coffee. This is what your grandpappy used to drink. And lucky enough for you loaf around slack asses, they got a subscription service. Deliver any other six blends right to your door. Even a sampler. I like the fireside blend. Nice and dark. They got something to suit every one of your tastes, light to dark and everything in between. Backwoods Grind Coffee, for those who work hard and play harder. Take a look at your feet. Are you wearing Gum Leaf USA boots? You said no, you gotta reevaluate some things. Each pair is handmade and tested to take over a million flexes. These boots will take just about anything you can throw at them. Use promo code W2H2020 for 10% off your final purchase at gumleafusa.com. Do you want to do the Vector Custom Shop? Well, do I have a choice? No. No. So. And you got to put music in there? This is like the music. Go ahead. Whatever. So if you're looking for a custom-built to your spec type of arrow, go check out VectorCustomShop.com. Uh, you can order a two-pack of test arrows built to whatever you want, you know, different weight in the front, different spine if you'd like. Uh, give them a test flight, see what works best for you, and when you're finished giving them a test flight and you figure out what you want, you can order a half dozen or a dozen over at VectorCustomShop.com and enter in code where to hunt at checkout to save 10%. Oh yeah. There it is. They're running a cyber Monday too. It's pretty hot deal. Yeah, it was, it was 20%. Smoking hot. It's better than what we could help them with. Yeah. And you can't stack it though. No. Sorry. <laughs> that would be pretty special. All right. So we do have a guest on the line with us, uh, Dan Johnson with the sportsman's nation. Uh, Dan, how you doing tonight, man? Doing good, man. How about yourself? We're good. I'm like, honestly, I just said, I'm glad to have Greg here in person. It's he's been like, you know, doing the call and stuff. So, um, less interruptions, which is good, but it's nice, nice Tuesday day, I guess. Not much yeah. to complain about. How about you? How, how are things going on your end? Where are you from? I'm from Iowa and my, I'll be, on, I'll be straight up right now. My, uh, life is stressful as shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, bo- both of my kids, are uh they're at home because of covid like our schools are closed down right so everything's virtual and uh, i've re- i realized one thing and that is i have the patience of a dad and not a teacher so um i am <laughs> i'm stressed i'll be honest with you that is okay um i spend as much time as i can with my kids which is a fraction of the amount of time my wife spends with them and i honestly don't know how else she does it I, I don't know how she does it. I'm like, how do you like, what, what, what the heck? Um, I don't know how old your kids are. Mine are three and one. So it's a nightmare all the time. They're, they're amazing. Yeah. And I love them, but yeah. holy shit. Yeah. They're old enough to be assholes. And that's what uh, <laughs> I'm dealing with right now. So. <laughs> oh gosh. Teacher, teacher, I'm your dad. <laughs> no, it, it's funny. Cause I was talking to a, uh, one of my buddies about this the other day. And uh, you know, dads handle things a little bit different than teachers do like if there's a if a teacher has a problem they have to kind of re-educate they redirect and, and stuff i just call my kids like stop it dummy you know do this do that do this i told because i said so like dad why why is this because i said so and that's why so <laughs> that's uh that's my patience level right now so uh i'm i'm learning to be a better 
parent and educator, and uh, it's kind of it's kind of difficult to be honest with you. I am not there yet, so you're ahead of me on that uh, part of life for sure. My wife is a teacher, though, so maybe she could give you some pointers. She's actually helped quite a few parents that have been converted into teachers, and they're like, Holly, how do you do this? How do you do that? So, yeah, something worth considering. Um, but you kind of like got to do some traveling, if I had seen correctly on uh, social media. Like, what what have you been up to for your hunting season? Like, when did that all start for you in Iowa? Where have you gone? Um, maybe start there, and we can just unwind this thing. Yeah, for sure. So what was it, man? Last couple of years, I've been going to Colorado and doing some elk hunting and I uh, decided to skip this year. And that opened everything up for me as far as September, right? So September, I didn't go anywhere. And then the first week in October, I went to South Dakota and tried to kill, kill a mule deer in the back country, you know, one of those hike in camp, you know, do the whole thing. And, uh, and then I bounced around the state of South Dakota for seven days or whatever, and then headed back towards, uh, to Iowa was there for a a little while, then went to Michigan and, uh, that was a a unique experience. And then after that, man, I got back from Michigan and then I, I, I waited another couple weeks and then I, I hit November with a hammer, man, and went hard here in Iowa during the rut and eventually got the job done so oh shit so did i hear that three states four three yeah three so south dakota then to michigan and then my home state iowa so and have you hunted those have you hunted like michigan before was that your first time there yeah first time in michigan and then let's see south dakota this is my second year yep so Man, this has been a really fun topic. Greg and I have talked about this with others, with others before about like how to do an out-of-state hunt. I'm not looking for like the how-to, but what was that? What has that been like for you hunting new states? Or is it like now that you've done one or two, like adding a third or fourth or these other ones are, is that a pretty straightforward process for you at this point in terms of like comfortability? Yeah, as far as what you need, right? Um, you just have to basically know, hey, are you going to sleep in your truck? Are you going to pitch a tent? Are you going to get a hotel? Those are once you get into the swing of things, those are the big questions that, that you need to answer. But as far as the first couple out of state trips, especially if you're hunting out of a tent, it, it become, it's just refining your gear into what you need versus what you want. And that's two different things, right? Sometimes you got to sacrifice a little comfort, uh, just so you have room in your pack. And, uh, I'm, I'm no expert at any of this, but, what I will say is that I'm, I'm continually refining this, uh, this, I don't know, my gear, my approach, you know, my scouting. And then uh, the only, the only real variable in the whole thing becomes, are there going to be animals worth hunting in the properties that you've chosen? So. Yeah. Well, that's going to be the hard part. Actually, uh, someone in the comments here, a buddy of mine, a uh, listener said, you know, he, he's in Michigan. He's wondering where you hunted in Michigan. Maybe not the exact longitude, latitude, but, uh, or latitude, but what part of Michigan were you hunting? Yeah, I went, it was like right smack dab in the middle of the mitten. Right. And, uh, there was a whole bunch of public ground around that area. And that's where I started off for the next couple of days. And then, uh, I headed a little bit further South than that, closer to the, the southern border of the state, and uh, that's where I ended up the last couple of days. So, I uh, I was right that right pretty much smack dab in the center of the state. Nice. I imagine Michigan's not too much different than Wisconsin, but I've heard that it's pressured like we are here, and uh, the terrain is similar. You know, well, that wouldn't be too different, but it sounds like it's hard hunting over there. Yeah, you know, I never really you you don't you you get to hear what other people say, but sometimes that can be a completely different story when you go and experience yourself. Right. So the, the stereotype with Michigan is it's a shitty state to hunt in. It's pressured. It's overcrowded. The public there's junk, all this stuff. Right. But what you, what you realize is the people who are bitching, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. It might be pressured. Yeah. It might be, I don't know. It, it might be tough hunting, but when I got there, man, the terrain is very suitable for holding deer. And although I didn't see a ton of deer, 
um, I can, I, I know now why there are, there's deer there. And as far as numbers are concerned, maybe not the quality that obviously I'm used to here in Iowa, but it's just, it's a complete, it's a completely different environment, but the terrain is there. The, the cover is there. The food is there. And it, it's just a different way to hunt these animals. And, and although they're pressured, um, I think you just have to, to adapt to, to every different scenario. It's got to be a, a lot that you're kind of taking and learning. I guess the one of the, I, I don't know, this is a fun question for you because you're obviously a podcaster and you run a network of podcasts. And so I'm not sure that you listen to every one of them. That would be really difficult. But um, you know, if you, how have you applied some of the things you've learned as a podcaster in the hunting community to your hunting? And have you seen any success kind of coming from that? That's demonstrable. That you can say, I, I can point to this and say, yep, I talked to this guy and I learned these things and I tried it and boom, I saw a deer or something like that. Yeah. So here's what, here's what I'll say. I will say, um, that my, me talking to people, me talking to not necessarily people who, when we talk about gear, but it helps. But when I talk to a guy from Michigan or I talk to a guy from Pennsylvania or Alabama or Maine or Kansas or, or wherever, every story that they tell, there's an underlying strategy or uh, a theme or a topic. And if a guy can take away a little bit from every story, you can really cut the learning curve or really educate yourself on not necessarily going in with a foolproof plan on a strategy or how you attack a piece of property, but you know, if this happens, then what? Well, if this happens, then what? And now what you do, what you're doing is you have, you have all this backlog of data that allows you to make decisions or um, play that, play that what if game, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've, um, man, I feel like I've learned a lot of what, like, I've, you know, people say like, uh, you can learn a lot of like what not to do by, you know, experiencing something. I feel like I've done a good job of living through other people's experiences and applying those learnings. And it's kind of shortened the learning curve a little bit. It's a really fun kind of position to be in, to be able to have those conversations with people. Cause it's one thing to listen to a podcast, but it's another to like be in the podcast because it's like writing versus reading. You're learning it differently. Um, so it's a really, it's kind of a fun position to be in from that perspective. Absolutely. So, okay. So, uh, South Dakota, what, what all went down there? Maybe just walk us through, uh, you talked a little bit about Michigan, but, um, and there was one, one other question. I think you kind of answered it. The, you asked, uh, how did it compare to other States? I think you kind of covered that maybe a little bit. Um, but I guess what was your South Dakota hunt like? Something about the prairie, whether it's in Kansas or Nebraska or South Dakota or North Dakota, there's something about the prairie that I am drawn to. Like, I don't know what it is. I, I can't ever put it into words. Other than but it's different. Going out, yes, it is. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. The land, you can see forever. You get into some of these certain spots. And you feel like you're the only person in the world, right? You can't see any uh, unnatural light. Um, you can't you can't hear any tractors or cars. Maybe an airplane flies overhead, but but you're removed from civilization. And I love that feeling. I love feeling small, and that is why I am in love with going to South Dakota and the fact that. And unlike Iowa, where I sit in a tree stand and I got these big woods all around me and it limits my view, I can sit up on the top of a ridge with a spotting scope or a pair of binoculars and I can see forever and I can see a lot of animals. And it's just, it's something different. And I've, I've honestly fallen in love with it. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty cool thing. I've not experienced that, you know, and here in Wisconsin, I might be able to see, you know, a hundred yards <laughs> in some of the areas I hunt. Cause it's, you know, thick cover, kind of like you're talking about in Michigan, you know, you can't see that far. Um, your binoculars are obstructed by a lot of things that are closer and like blurry as a result, cause it's not focused on them, but to really open that kind of lens up and 
see things that way sounds cool. I, I'm I'm obsessed with the idea of sniping something at a long range. Like I love bow hunting and the closeness of it for sure, but I have not yet experienced shooting something in a wide open space like that at three to 500 yards. My farthest shot with my rifle has been, I think, you know, hundred to 120 yards. And that felt super cool, you know? So I think you're going to really enjoy Dan's response because it's completely opposite of what I just had to say there. But before we hear what Dan has to say about rifle hunting versus bow hunting, this is a perfect time to get into the shot of the week. Fun fact about that sound effect, I made that myself in my garage by shooting my bow at a target and I put a mic right by the target. So that's where that came from. But uh, that sound effect represents our shot of the week brought to you by Vector Custom Shop. I know Greg gives them a shout out in the beginning, but we double dose it up because they're just that great. If you haven't heard of Vector Custom Shop by now, that means you probably haven't heard our show um, (laughs) at the very least. And uh, if you have like good, that's awesome. And maybe you haven't pulled the trigger on their arrows yet. I highly encourage you to head on over to VectorCustomShop.com. They just ran a pretty big Cyber Monday sale, so hopefully you didn't miss that. But if you did, don't worry. We have a discount code you can use. It's not uh, as steep of a discount, but it's better than nothing. It's certainly still pretty darn good. You can use the code WHERE, the number two in the word hunt, for 10% off. And uh, you can start by buying just a pack of two arrows and kind of work from there based on your setup. When you go to their website, uh, you're going to enter in things like your draw weight, your draw length, the animal that you hunt, your hunting style, all these uh, things about like how you hunt and what you're using. And then they're going to use that information to build an arrow uh, set up for you. And they're also going to use an ethics insert outsert system uh, to make sure the FOC front of center is correct for how you're shooting. So that being said, the shadow leak this week is <laughs> a bit of a cross pollination thing here because um, I couldn't help myself. I have to share my buddy's story from the gun opener. Now, this isn't a bow kill or anything like that, but it is a shot. And uh, here's how it went. So Saturday, uh, sitting in the woods, and I hear some shots go off. I, I have a good idea of you know where they came from. So I, I had a sneaking suspicion it was the buddy who I thought it was. And he calls me and said, hey, I just shot. I just shot a doe. Um, he's super excited. He hasn't gotten a deer in a number of years. It, it, it would have been his second deer ever. Um, he's an adult onset hunter as I guess the term is called. And so I actually introduced him to hunting. So it's really exciting stuff. Right. And so I said, okay, go look for blood, look for fur, see what you can find, you know, whatever. Calls me back. Couldn't find anything, man. I think I missed. And he took two shots at this doe. So whatever, he didn't find anything. That was that. I didn't come and help him. There's nothing to go help him with because he didn't find any blood. So the next day, Sunday, uh, we're hunting. It's all public land. And, um, I got a doe, so I went and you know, got my doe and a buddy helped me drag it out real quick. Um, and so then this other buddy, Mike, thought that it was me and my other buddy, Joel, coming up to him. But it really was two different hunters that were on this public piece. And they came up to where he was at and said, hey, did you shoot a doe? <laughs> he's like, no, I, I didn't. Not, I mean, not today. And uh, he's like, I shot at one yesterday. So pause, right, real quick rewind. I didn't know this is what was happening, but Mike had called me and I could hear these voices in the background, these other people. I'm like, what are, where are you? Like, what are you back at the truck? What are you doing? He's like, I got a deer. I'm like, well, that's funny. I haven't heard any gunshots. He's like, no, no, (laughs) I got the deer that I shot yesterday. So I'm like, okay, great. I'll be right there. So then I hang up, I go over, meet up with him and I see where he's at because he's wearing blaze orange. So he's easy to spot him. He was not too far from where his uh, spot was. And, uh, there's this doe frozen and dead and, uh, he got it. It was a pretty far shot. She was running. He took two shots. The first shot, I think he clean missed completely. And then the second shot he got, uh, a perfect heart shot. So like he did a great job, but just based on the terrain is hill country. He like misjudged the ridge and the, the, he looked for blood at the first shot, but didn't know where the second shot really was once he got down. So kind of a complex situation. Um, but an okay it's hunter moment for sure because two other hunters <laughs> told him about his deer that he shot the day, the day before. And had they not have, um, you know, he may not have found it. Although he said he was going to go um, grid search the area and, and, and look a lot harder uh, before we walked out of the woods that day on Sunday. So I think he probably would have found it anyways. But who knows? Anyway, that's the shot of the week this week. Hopefully you guys like the story. It's a silly one. 
Um, but let's get back into uh, Dan's response about uh, archery versus gun and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, uh, this, and this is just me and my, my opinion, but I, am in, I have no interest in shooting an animal at a very long range. Like one of my favorite things is to get up close and intimate with whatever it is I'm trying to accomplish and like be in, in tight. Like, I don't know. There's something about the way a big cat, like a lion or a cheetah or a bobcat or or something like that hunts to where the prey doesn't even have a clue that it's right on top of them. And I don't know. I get a kick out of that, man. Yeah, I would agree. I, that's kind of how I am with it too. I rifle hunting's cool and all, but it's not as fulfilling for me because I don't have the same connection with the animal. And some people might call that weird, but I just, the experience is different. Now, the older I get, man, I'll tell you this, I'll, I'll definitely turn into a rifle hunter at some point in my life because I'm going to hunt till the day I die. Mm. But, you know, obviously the back country, uh, hiking up and down mountains, using the, I've already used and abused my body uh, a lot in my life. And uh, I, there's a limited time I have left uh, on this planet. And I'm going to be a bow hunter until I can't bow hunt anymore. And then I'll turn into a gun hunter. I dig it, man. I Yeah, I would have to agree about the bow hunting. But the, I do have that other side of me that's like, Maybe I just played too much Big Buck Hunter or something like that at the bars when I was young. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I did my fair share of that too, man. Double buck bonus, you know? Oh, man. Um, I can I can attest to what Dan's saying, though. I mean, yeah. I was in the trades. I'm 40 years old now, and I beat the crap out of my body for 20 years, just about. And knees are feeling like crap. And, you know, I look at everybody trying to get in shape, and round is a shape. But uh, I'm not probably going to get to the level that some of these guys are, you know, doing burpees and squats and sit-ups with 50, 60-pound packs. I just, I don't know if my knees are going to be able to handle it or, you know, I help my brother-in-law well, move up. You never know. Yeah, go ahead. It's kind of funny. I was just, I was just talking with uh, Aaron Snyder. You probably know who oh, Aaron yeah. Snyder is. He's uh, the co- owner of Kafaru. He does the Kafaru cast. And he, he was telling me yesterday, he's like, most people don't know what they're capable of until they actually toughen up and go and do it, sure. right? So his example was, he was, uh, you know, it's like, oh, I see an elk, but it's one ridge over, and it's a mile away. Well, that puts me three miles away from the trailhead instead of two. I don't know if I'll be able to handle it. And he's, he's sitting here going, man, it's, it, let's say you kill that elk. You're walking an additional four miles that one day out of your whole entire life. Right. You know, like toughen up and go do it. And I'll be honest with you, that whole mindset is how I approach my, the very simple whitetail season, right? Is to move around, be active and, and go to where the deer are and don't like, don't sit and wait for them. Right. That's a so there's a couple things there. Uh, I like what, what he has to say about that. Um, it reminds me of David Goggins. He talks about the 40% rule that like there's still 40% left in the gas tank and everyone's capping out at 60 and you got 40 more to go. Um, I've been through the physicality of that uh, to certain degrees and have been pushed far past my physical limits mentally, <laughs> sleep deprived and all that stuff. And I think maybe even just being a parent, you start to learn what that looks like um, just from like the mental part and the sleep deprivation. But the physical stuff and pushing yourself hard. Once you get to that point, it's pretty cool, man. What you, what you can actually accomplish. And it, a lot of it's mental toughness. Greg, you mentioned like, Oh man, my knees hurt. My body's round. I'm in shape that way. But you know, some people are just missing some fucking screws upstairs and, and they're far more mentally capable where they don't have the wiring to be <laughs> held back. Right. My buddy, uh, Joel, who helped me drag my buck out his knee, he's got a bum knee and he's all jacked up from his time in the service. And he's pushing through shit. He's, no better in shape or out of shape than I am. And he's just doing it different. He's always been that way. He can just do more. I remember running with him when we were kids and he's got tiny little legs. He's a short little shit, but he could run three miles in 18 minutes. And back then I could do 20. And I'm like, how are you two whole minutes ahead of me, man? He's got the crazy gene. You know, some people just freaking wired different. Just remember his legs are shorter. So he's taking more steps than well, you yeah, are. Yeah, that's it too. Like what the <laughs> hell, you know? 
<laughs> He's got more gas in the tank than you think. Something, man. It's a it's a mental game too. It really is. It's like what you said. You got more. You can do more than you think you can do. I like the concept though that like you're hiking, um, you know, four more miles in the grand scheme of your life. Like get over it. Literally, go get over the hump. It's four miles. It's not yeah. that bad. And that's where the stories are made. That's where that's where like you have an indelible memory that you'll never forget. You never forget those hard hard times like that ever. They're so impressionable. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, my, uh, one of my best friends in high school, his mom or dad, I don't know. It was, they had a, a sign in their bathroom in their house. And it was something along the lines of, um, you know, at the end of my life, I don't want to walk into heaven clean and, you know, perfectly shaven and, and just all this stuff. I want to, I want to basically side slide into heaven with scars and bruises and broken bones because that right there is, you know, that's all just like a metaphor basically, but how you should live your life, man, just go out, get it. And that I'll be honest with you. Um, and this is, this is me, me derailing the show, but man, my twenties, I was a drunk, man. I was an idiot. I spent most of my time at a bar chasing women, doing dumb shit, and that's probably why my body is so beat up now. And it didn't take me until I had basically a family to realize that, man, you wasted 11 years of your life just drinking and doing dumb shit. And now you want to try to fit all this other stuff in? So, like, I'm really trying to make up. I'm really trying to fit a lot. I'm trying to be a good dad. I'm trying to be a good husband. And I'm trying to go experience my own life out in Colorado and Wyoming and, and Michigan and, and South Dakota and Iowa and, and introduce my kids into it at the same time and basically take my failures that I've had in my life and try to educate my kids and just be like, man, this is not worth it. None of it is. Yeah. Well, you know, as well as everybody else that uh, someone probably told you to do the same and you're like, I'll figure it out on my own. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. So well, and that was me, man. Yeah. That, that was me. I was that kind of guy that's like, you don't learn anything until you get punched in the face. That's right. Right. And everybody's learning curve is different. That is good. It is good to get some wisdom though. Hopefully your, your kids impart some of that from you and take it on and uh, hear you. I think this generation is different though, too. You know, I got, I got younger siblings, man, and they're in a very different place than me when I was that age. Uh, I was similar to you, man. Oh yeah. Just drunk in the bars, spending all my money on booze and chasing women around. And um, you know, albeit the advice of my, of my stepmom was get, Live your life in your twenties. Don't get married till you're out of that. And I inadvertently took that advice like by accident. And uh, I got married at, was I 29 or 30? We've married for, for four years. So, uh, it worked out, <laughs> it worked out pretty well, but yeah, I'm playing catch up too now, man. It's, it's interesting. And luckily I got a good, yeah. a good support system here to, to do some of the things we're trying to do. Greg and I are in quotation marks, planning an elk hunt, uh, that might turn into an out of state whitetail hunt. We'll see, which is why we're so curious about that topic, but we really got to put the pedal to the metal there, buddy, huh? If we can't go to Colorado and elk hunt, I'd be fine hitting the Black Hills to deer hunt. Ooh, all right. I don't mean, damn, we got to pick your brain Colorado, somewhere there. Man. Yeah, see? Yeah. got to go to Colorado. I know. I know. Uh, and bow uh, hunt it, not gun hunt it. I'll say this. It's not easy. No. But the first time you ever hear a, a elk bugle inside of 100 yards, You'll get a boner and you'll pass out. That's basically what will happen. Just went to six to noon, fellas. Yeah, it changes your life. It's crazy. There's so many people that have said this to us that I'm surprised Greg is still like on the fence. I think I'm not on the fence. Well, I know. I'm over the fence. All right. I'm not worried about the barbed wire. Okay. Yeah, we talked about that in the last show. You're my barbed wire holder contraption. But shit, what the hell was I going to say? I was going to say something about that. Derailed again. Uh, it's not hard for me, man, to, to get squirrel syndrome here. Um, damn it. Damn it. Anyway. Oh, yeah. The easy part, I think, Here's is like just saying. booking the trip. Like, it's kind of like if you're going to go anywhere, buy the fucking plane ticket, right? Is that the, is that like the, the thing you ought to do is just get it booked and then work backwards from there? You just plan one year in advance and you tell your wife, and hey, I'm going to need your mother. I'm going to need my mother-in-law's help, or I'm going to need my mom's help, or I'm going to need a babysitter. It gives you one whole year to save up the money, not only for the elk hunt, 
but to have a babysitter in the house or get your, your wife some extra help or whatever, right? It gives you time. And that way, you, she knows one year in advance, I'm going to go to Colorado on these dates, please. So it doesn't yeah, actually I, help, but you get to then say, no, I told you a year ago, <laughs> you shouldn't be expecting yeah. this. <laughs> it doesn't make it much better, but you can use that in your, in your back pocket, right? Yeah, mark it, mark it on the calendar. Mark, you know, just every month. Hey, just to let you know, there's nine months until I'm getting ready to do this stuff. And I'll tell you what, man, my wife is a saint. She's a firecracker, but she's a saint. And uh, so we still have the arguments every hunting season. How long are you going to be gone? What are you doing? I got, you know, I got to take care of the kids while you're gone. It's not easy, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. But, you know, she understands that this is my passion. And I make up for it straight up. I, I, I do things that she wants to do throughout the rest of the year. And, you know, we, we, we make each other happy, if that makes sense. That's important. It's a two-way street, right? Yeah. Right. It's a good episode. We're talking about, right. you know, marriage tactics and hunting tactics. Well, it's a partnership. <laughs> I mean, Dude, I'll tell you right now, it's two, it's two things. If you want to, let's just put it this way. If you want to be a successful hunter, the more time you spend in the woods, the, the more opportunity at success you'll have, right? And how do you spend more times in the woods? You make your wife happy, straight up. Yep. And that's what I'm trying to learn every single year. Yep. But, I mean, there's horror stories. You heard enough people that have, like, I mean, this is anything that anybody does extremely. Like, you hear about the, the people that game too much. It, it, you know, causes divorce, right? People get, you know, divorced over this kind of stuff. Yeah, if you're not doing the give and take system the right way, that you might end up there, right? Right. No, I'm not trying to take this like a negative town here or anything. No, well, <laughs> but there's there's a price to being good at something. Yeah, it is. There's a uh, trade off. There's some sacrifice for sure, mm-hmm. but it's when you're on a team like that, you gotta you gotta remember that for a second. Um, I'm with you though. I try to do something similar. I try to be there 100 when I'm not doing the stuff. And actually, you know, our seasons, you know, pretty much kind of winding down. I know there's still some late season, maybe some second and third rush. Your seasons winding down. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, but luckily, but I'm I'm happy about it because I miss my kids. I miss spending time with my family. So like spending time in the woods, my oh, wife man. would never understand when I said no. I yeah, I want to hunt, but I I don't just want to hunt. I I also want to do the family stuff. I just I need to do yeah. this thing right now. And and so now that that's been freed up, I've been um, really happy that I've had some success in the woods and been able to come back to the family here. Oh yeah. My, my life revolves around my family 100%. So what I try to do is, you know, let's, let's just say that hunting and family are two different cups. So my attention is going to my family 10 months out of the year, let's say, and October, November hit for those four weeks that I'm gone on these trips four total weeks. I'm not going to say my family takes a back seat because they don't, but I've done everything that I possibly can do to prepare for it, to, to fill that cup with love and, and time and all those things for my family so that when I'm gone, they know what I'm going away for. And, uh, and, and so far it's worked really well and, uh, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. And, uh, I know that, you know, when I come back, I share those stories and they get all geeked out and we sit for hours and we scroll through all the pictures on my phone and I show them pictures of the animals and the terrain and, and all that stuff. And um, my daughter right now, she's at a point where she's like, Dad, can I come to South Dakota with you, please? Can I come? Can I come? And I'm just like, I'm sorry, sweetie, you got school. You know, I'm going to sleep. I'm sleeping in the bed of my truck. This isn't like. Yeah, that's uh, not fun know, for a kid. Not yet. It right, might be right. until they start not freezing. <laughs> So, yeah, man, I'm just, uh, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm just in a really, other than stressed with trying to be a teacher, my life is good, man. I'm, I'm really happy. Well, yeah, let's talk about that for just a second. Like, so obviously you're, you're the, the founder, owner, operator of Sportsman's Nation and the host of the, the podcast, Nine Finger Chronicles. Um, like, it affords you some luxuries, right, to be able to do these things, but at a cost, right? It's not easy yep. running a business, um, especially in this industry. Right. There's very few that have kind of made it, right? And you have to adjust your life to accommodate. That's not like you're, I mean, I'm not going to make an assumption here, but people that are in this industry, unless you're in some big corporation, you're not rich, right? You're not like rolling in the dough making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, you know? Um, huh. Tell us, maybe, wish, yeah, right, see, like, so tell us a little bit about, 
you know, what you have going on. Like what, what is the day to day? Like, what are you doing? Um, what are the different entities and what does that all look like? Whatever you're willing to share anyways. Yeah, man. So I basically manage 21 RSS feeds right now. That's what the sportsman's nation is. And, uh, it's a pod, you know, it's a podcast network and I put out podcasts on the network and, and they go to all the same places that all the other podcasts go to. And, uh, it's basically, uh, a collection of really, in, in my opinion, some of some of the best podcasts that are out there right now. And th- that's, I'll just leave it out at that. As far as the content, as far as the people delivering the content, um, and I'll use this as an example, one of the uh, more popular podcasts on the network, the Land and Legacy podcast, it is – it's not just some random guy talking about food plots and habitat management. These people are educated on their, their craft. They're very knowledgeable about it. They have years of experience behind it and they're not doing it to fill like a sponsorship or, you know, talk about that. These guys, it is their craft. It is their profession and everything that they say or do in their podcast, it comes through and they're, they're, it's real, relatable content, and uh, that goes across all of the uh, podcasts that uh, that I have on the network. But as far as like me running it, it's kind of like a, a part-time job. I, I want to say full-time job, but man, I am a dad from seven in the morning or six in the morning until typically eight o'clock at night, eight thirty, nine o'clock when they go to bed, and then I go upstairs and I do four hours of work. And then I'm typically in bed by midnight. And so I'm not getting no eight hours of sleep. I'm not, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's a grind. It's, uh, but, but I'll tell you what, I'm not in a cubicle anymore. And I would trade this, this, I'm sitting here bitching about stress, right? <laughs> but I'm glad I'm not in a cubicle anymore. I hated that more than any kind of, I don't conflict that I have these days, man. Uh, I'm happy. That's good to hear. I mean, it's, it is a trade-off and, uh, it sounds like it's worked out, but you've, you got to work smart and hard. People can work smarter, not harder, work harder, yeah. work harder, more hours. Like, look, it's, it's both all the time. You have to try to think about things in a certain way and be smart about your decisions and try to take what you've learned and the data that you've acquired over doing something and then use that to inform your next decision to be smarter every time. And all the while, you're still busting your ass, working really hard. You know, yeah. the shit ain't easy. And and raising a family and hunting, right? Um, it's a lot. It's a ton. But I think, you know, from afar at least, uh, you know, Wisconsin's not that far from Iowa. It's where my dad hails from originally, and they moved here in the manufacturing boom. Um, but, like, from afar, you're, you're, it looks like you're doing great, you know? Um, the product that you're putting out is awesome. The content is great, as you just noted. Um, you'd respected, I think, are you sitting on a board too, for 2% for conservation or is that the one? Yep. 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 I'm currently on the board of directors for 2% for conservation. So, um, that doesn't take up a lot of time right now, but, uh, that's, you know, it, it's going to ramp up here. Uh, awesome organization, man. I'm, I'm very happy to be a part of that. The, my, my network, uh, Sportsman's Nation is an official 2% for conservation certified company as well. So uh, that is a, an organization where you give 1% of your time, roughly 21 hours a year, and uh, and 1% of your gross income. So uh, it's just, it's something that I, I believe in. And, and what I mean by that is it's an organization that a lot of, a lot of people right now throw the word conservation around like, hey, man, I bought some tags or I picked up a piece of garbage or I don't know, like being a con being involved in conservation or, or being a conservationist is something that you have to be able to talk the talk, but walk the walk too. And I don't, I think a lot of people throw the, the, the word conservationist around and they're just blowing smoke, man. It, it, it takes a lot more, then it takes sacrifice with your time and your dollar. And um, I, I just going back to the organization, man, that's why I like the 2% for conservation uh, 
I love that organization so so much, and and I I was really honored when they offered me the board of director spot, and with me, you know, liking it so much, I it was hard for me to turn it down because I I, I wanted it, and uh, I want to help spread that message, man. It is a good organization, and um, OKS Hunter gives to it, although. <laughs> You know, OKS Hunter is only a six-month-old business, and uh, the the 1% of revenue is, you know, not a whole lot, uh, but it's something, and uh, it's gotten me out and doing more volunteering, which, you know, something that I wasn't doing before, which honestly I should have been, could have been, had no excuse not to, but now that I'm doing it, like, the intrinsic reward of that, outside of anything that's actually associated with it, is far greater than what I'm actually giving back to that. It makes me feel pretty cool to be doing that, especially bringing my, I brought my daughter with me, and We've been doing more volunteer stuff. We have more on the calendar. So it's, it's cool. It's a really cool organization for sure. Yeah, absolutely. The concept is great to be able to give to whoever you want. And then they just verify and validate that, um, is different than, you know, you can pick whoever the hell you want. That's whatever's important to you and and close to your heart. Greg, what would you give to if you could? Good question. Um, I've been involved with like Wisconsin waterfallers association. Uh, it did, some work with them uh, tearing out. That's right. Yeah, I I think we did some buckthorn removal. We did we cleaned up all of the area around Rome Pond, not far from where Dan Infault lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through chainsaw certification, so I That's actually right. okay. did a lot of cutting and hauling. Um, did some stuff out in my area, Lake Mills, out on the marsh. Um, there was a canal that was plugged up full of cattails, so me and my buddy took his duck boat and we big mud motor on it and we pulled pulled the cattail bog that was plugging up the canal so now people can use it um put up wood duck houses put up mallard nests did a lot of cleanup so i mean you can never have enough hands and every every spring you turn around and look at all of our public land uh, parking lots around there and we have a lot of them uh, they're full of crap hmm. i'm constantly picking up empty yeah. shotgun shells beer cans cases of empty beer cans i mean just there's shit everywhere so it it's a never-ending thing and it's it's nothing to toot your horn about it's just doing what should be done because no but it is it is it is something to toot your horn about because what you're doing is more than a lot of other people do clearly so right and it's at a it's at a local level and it's something that you can see and it's something that the other hunters can see. It's not like, and don't get me wrong, the, for the longest time I was donating to the National Deer Alliance and QDMA. Well, now they're one, they're one organization with the, what is it, the National Deer Association. And I, I was giving money to them. Well, I, I knew my money was going somewhere good, but I, I never saw what it did with my own eyes. Like I couldn't touch it and I couldn't feel it. Right. But what you just did, was you're able to go back and, and every time you drive by that wood duck house, whether you have your kid with you or whether you're by yourself, you can say, I did that. Right. Mm-hmm. Or every time you drive through that canal, you're like, I did that. Right. And other people will see that. And that's, that's a direct impact for conservation. Yep. No doubt about it. That that's a, Oh my gosh. And the way you're talking about that, like bringing my, my three-year-old with me now to do that stuff and when she's six and three more years and nine, and three more years, you're just can, teaching her the right thing. Yeah, but you're, I can go to that what place, the right thing is walk the do. trail and say, hey, look, that's what you helped me do. Mm-hmm. This, we made this a better place to come and recreate on. Or the dollars from the OKS Hunter, if hopefully it grows, right? It's really big. Who knows? Um, contribute to acquiring this land that this organization now bought, right? To have us recreate on it. And then we're going to go work that land, right? And do more of that stuff. Um, the locality of it is like, just super cool, man. It's yep. just super cool. I don't. There's not a better way to say it. And I think that is, like you had said, Dan, true conservationism, where you're really making a, a demonstrable impact. Um, and I think, you know, giving to the bigger organizations is fine, too. Like you said, your money is going to a good place. But it really is something different when it... You're just not seeing where it's going. Yeah, it's it's cool. not impacting you or yep. your local community, yep. maybe necessarily immediately. Yep. So it's fun. It's, I, I, was, I was lucky because my dad... Uh, growing up, kind of, I guess he, he 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 educated me on what conservation is, and it, it doesn't necessarily need to be about natural resources or things like that. But like you said, with the canal, I remember one day when I was real young, 
And at this moment kind of stuck into my head. And there was a storm that went through Pikes Peak uh, uh, Park in Iowa along the Mississippi River. And there's a whole bunch of trails and Indian mounds up there and all this, all this stuff. And, and there was trees that were blown over and these guys were working on the trails and it was just a bunch of volunteers. And I'm like, dad, how do, how do I do that when I grow up? And he's like, these are, these are just volunteers, Daniel. You can, you can do this. You know, when you get older, you can do this. And it was kind of clicked there for me or it's like in order for things to make, you know, for things to happen, you need a group of people who are willing to sacrifice their own time for the greater good. And, uh, and it, that, that moment right there always kind of stuck with me. That's cool. Yep. It's good to have that kind of uh, parental figure and role model in your life that way. That's awesome. Yep. So you got sportsman's nation and, and you have your own podcast too, right? That's part of that same, um, kind of, um, network, the, the nine finger chronicles. What, what do you talk about on that one? Man, that is straight up hunting. I mean, like, I, I do a lot of BSing about other other things as well, but, man, big game hunting, whitetail deer, mule deer, it's basically just me talking. And I'll, I'll, let me preface this, what I'm about to say with this, that I was on a – I used to listen to a lot of podcasts where they would have a celebrity or someone well-known who came on and would be giving advice like – Okay, so talk to me about deer hunting strategy. Well, here, this is what you need to do. Try this, try this, try this, downwind, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I would go watch some of their video content, and <laughs> they'd be rolling up to an outfitter, or they would be hunting on these gigantic managed farms with all these, these food plots, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I could not relate to that at all. So here this person is, is trying to give advice to me when he doesn't hunt like me. So my goal with the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast was to interview people who worked 40, 50 hours a week. They had one week of vacation a year that they could dedicate to, to hunting. And it was just that, it was that average Joe, right? Like the guy who sits in a cubicle and hates his life for 40 hours a week. And all he does is wishes he was out in the timber or wishes he was on a boat fishing with his family or whatever. And that those are the people who I wanted to interview. Those are the people who I wanted to talk with. Uh, I wanted to learn about their strategy. And don't get me wrong, I have some of those people, you know, that I just, you know, forementioned there on the podcast. But some of the best stories and some of my highest rated um, episodes are people who are getting the job done, who are a welder or you know. Uh, you know, a paramedic or a doctor or whatever, and they're busy all the time and they got kids just like me. And, and, uh, when, when those people are successful and they can tell a good story, there is definitely something to take away from that conversation. So those are the people who I love talking with the most, man, because I feel like you can learn a lot from the guy who's in a time crunch because every hour he's in the tree stand matters. He's relatable. Yep. It's a big, it's a big deal yep, to have absolutely. that. I think some of the guys doing a one of the, a really good job of that right now is the Whitetail Legacy guys. They're talking to, you know, what you might call no namers, right? People that aren't known. I don't know where they find these people, but they do, and they they do a good job. That's kind of like their their whole shtick, and I think it's a good one um, for that reason, the relatability factor for sure. Uh, you know, speaking of yep. stories, Dan, uh, I planted the seed before we hit the record button. Uh, but I would love to hear out of all the states you've hunted, as long as you've been at it, uh, you know, we'll sit back here and, and relax as you tell us your most memorable hunt. <laughs> when, when you mentioned that, I went, I went through the, ca- the, the, the catalog of all these influential moments and all of these, um, like these memories. And I, I'll be honest with you. Um, my, one of my, my favorite memories, and it was the moment, it wasn't necessarily that moment, but it was moments like that, where I knew that I wanted to be a bow hunter, and I wanted to, like, I wanted to be outside, and I wanted to be in a tree stand or hunting as much as humanly possible, and to be honest with you, it was before I ever killed a deer with a bow, um, and so I was in this I was in this relationship with a girl 
and it was heading south and it was, you know, it, it, it didn't, it didn't turn out. And I had, I just got laid off from a job. And so I was like, I, I was living that country Western song life. You know what I mean? Where I lost a girl, lost a job. I had to, I had to sell my house because I couldn't afford to pay my mortgage. And I had to move back in with my mom when I was 30 years old. And it sucked. Like it sucked. Imagine having this awesome life and then going, moving back in with your parents. Right. It just sucked. And, um, so one way I really kind of got out of that was, you know, getting, getting out of my mom's house was going and hunting. And I, I remember sitting like, I remember sitting in a tree stand one day and it was, it was this mild middle of October day where the sun's coming down. The leaves are all like I was, I must've been on a maple flat or something because I remember, I, I know you guys know what I'm talking about, but as the sun gets lower in the sky, it illuminates the woods and there's like this, this red or this orange tint to the, to the, to everything. And it looks like you're almost on a different planet because the sky's not blue anymore. Everything's kind of illuminated. And there was squirrels chirping and birds chirping. And then, you know, the sun eventually goes down and everything just becomes silent. And the only thing you may hear in the background is like a grain bin drying, uh, drying grain or a combine or maybe some cattle. And it's just in that moment, I found basically happiness and I said to myself, I go, man, I didn't need booze. I didn't need like, I didn't need a woman. I didn't need drugs. I didn't need all these things. All I needed was me and mother nature. And I said to myself, I want to do that. I want to do this as much as humanly possible. And I had hunted before, you know, I think I started hunting when I was 13, 14 years old and I had my experiences. I, I played sports in high school. I, I went to college and it wasn't until 2006 really when I had this aha moment where I, I was just, it just, it kind of just, my life kind of took a little slight turn. And I said to myself, I want to do this as much as possible. And that's when I cannonballed into bow hunting. I, I bought the bow, I bought the camera. Like I, I started filming my hunts back then. And, and I just started living and breathing and educating myself on hunting whitetails. And then, and it was, it was a simple night. It was a beautiful October evening that did it for me. And, uh, and a lot of people look for bigger, like these real big moments. Like I need to kill this big buck and I need to kill this deer and I need to do this. And I got all this strategy and all this other stuff. And if you're, if you're looking for that, that's great, but you're, you're skipping something. And I, I don't think a lot of people absorb the, the natural aspect to all this and really absorb nature. And what I've found over the years, and I know this isn't one particular story, but what I've found over the years is that nature has this freaking healing power where if you're sad, if you're, you're feeling sorry for yourself, if you're unhappy, if you're stressed, all I need to do is step outside and start breathing some fresh air, go for a walk, go on a hike, go fishing, go, go sit in a tree stand and all that dissolves. And it's like therapy for me. And I, I, and like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, being alone and, and getting in tune with yourself and shredding all the nonsense in life is uh, something that I've taken away from hunting and I'm going to do my damnedest to spread that message to others and, and, uh, and, and give back as much as I can over time. And, uh, man, that's, I don't know, that's just me ranting, but th there's that. <laughs> no, that's a good rant. 
wilderness definitely heals. It's the most healing thing that I know in my life. I, I, I'll tell my wife, like, it's kind of like uh, the Snickers commercials. You don't realize you're crabby because you're hungry. Uh, I don't realize I'm being a total <laughs> asshole. I'm like, oh, my God, I need to get outside. I haven't done anything outside. Like, I, I need to, I got to go outside. Like, right now, I got to, I'm going to take one of the kids. I'm going to go on a hike, right? I'll even go, like, across the street. We got, like, a um, an abandoned golf course. You so do you know, turn like, into Joe Pesci after a while. I get a little pissy, man. It's not good. And I realize I need, I need nature. And honestly, selfishly, that's why, yeah. that's why conservation is so effing important. If we lose our public lands, I will actually go crazy. I need somewhere to recreate. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I feel you, man. I Super feel you. relatable. I love it's it. It's always good. To, I mean, if there's one message that I can share with everybody, it's like, I feel like the hunting community gets caught up on all this other stuff. Like I do. Big bucks and, and mature bucks and like the hunting strategy and all, you know, all the, all this stuff when there's so much more to it. And, uh, if, uh, once you learn, that you can do both. I mean, it's, it's pretty freeing. That's good to know. You, you, you can do both. It's a good reminder for me. It's, uh, the adventure side, because again, to me, that's the most yeah. indelible memory that I'll make is when the going gets tough, the memories are freaking carved in stone on your brain. They're, they're etched in there. They're soldered in. They're never going anywhere. And if you have like, no one ever remembers a, you might play a video game, Call of Duty, for hours on end to level up and get to a new status or whatever, and that could be, take a whole day. You will remember nothing. There's zero things that are impressionable about that. You won't remember anything. You remember the headshot you got or the kill cam? None of it. But you hike over a freaking mountain range to go get an elk, you are never going to forget it, ever. You know? Because you probably fell down a bunch of times and, like, ate shit and, like, you know, whatever. Laughed a whole bunch. Maybe you cried. I don't know. Um but you're not going to forget it, man. Yeah. And that's what I look for. Yeah. Greg's always like, oh, you know, we're going to go in the Absolutely. swamp, Eric. It's hard. I'm like, bring it on, bitch. What the <laughs> frick do you think I'm here for? I'm like, oh, no, it's hard. Good. I won't forget it. He says that now, but he was bitching yeah. and crying like a little girl. That is not true. <laughs> <laughs> just mention mosquitoes are in okay, there. Well, that is, all that go is, to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, you did find That is my hot button. <laughs> you know, the mosquitoes weren't bad this year. No. Um, Typically, that spot, though, I mean, you're going to get carried away with deer flies. And uh, if you think there's anything worse than mosquitoes, it's definitely deer flies. God, I hate bugs. I hate mosquitoes so bad. They ruin a good time so quick. That a bee sting. Ugh. Anyway. Well, Dan, thanks for coming on the show with us tonight, man. We, we appreciate you taking time out of your super busy schedule to hang out with us on the OKS podcast. Yeah, man, no worries. Anytime. Uh, man, I'm, I, I just love BSing about what we love, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, look, just to make sure for, for good measure here, tell people where to find all your stuff. I know everyone knows, but let's just remind them. Yeah, man, uh, the best place to go is uh, sportsmensnation.com, S-P-O-R-T-S-M-E-N-S nation.com. Oh, I, I mean, you can, you can go to uh, Nine Finger Chronicles on Facebook and Instagram. You can go to Sportsman's Nation on Facebook and Instagram, and there it shall be. Well, I wish I would have known that earlier on. I did Sportsman's Nation. I'm never checking with you on anything, hey, Greg. No. I, I was like, I was like, Greg, is it sports men's nation? <laughs> sports men's nation. Well, there we have it. So just to be clear, it's with an E for men's. This is good to bring up because clearly, uh, and we give ourselves a lot of slack with this okay stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's below okay. Maybe it's uh, sub-average, right? It might, it might be. <laughs> sub-average hunter. Sub-average yeah. podcaster. Gosh. We're going to get okay or I promise. No, thanks again, man, for, for being here with us. Um, you know, it's, it's been Absolutely. good. And no calls that came through. There were a couple comments that came through, some questions. There's a bunch of comments along the way. So if you find yourself some time and want to go back and address any of them, feel free. And everybody that uh, tuned in, thanks so much for giving us your time, too. Yeah, we appreciate it. What's up, everyone? Anthony Heller here with DeerVane. And this week's tip of the week is related to the second rut. The second rut is a very real thing. It's when does that weren't bred come back into heat or fawns of the year come into heat. And fawns of the year will generally come into come into heat a month later um, than the actual kind of rut time frame. So if your rut's early November, they'd come into heat about early December. 
And then also for the does that are not bred, they will recycle into estrus every 28 days or so. And that just happens to coincide with roughly late November, early December. So that early December timeframe can be really good to get out there and catch and catch bucks on their feet again. And it's not necessarily that the bucks are out searching and hunting and really looking hard. Um, they might be, but, but a lot of times bucks become more opportunistic at this point in the year. You know, if, if a doe passes by them and she's in heat, yeah, he's going to get up and go have a sniff. But otherwise, you know, bucks have been worn out. You know, they've been running around for over a month now, really pushing hard. And they, and especially the mature bucks, they know winter's coming and they know they got to pack some calories on. So what I like to do is go and try to target those food sources, those travel routes to and from food sources where you've been seeing does all year. That is the kind of the place to be right now because as those does come through, if one is in heat and those bucks are on her, they're going to be pushing her all over the place and, and you'll have a lot of rut activity. It's kind of one of those one of those time frames where when you're in it, man, you're in it. So I hope that helps everyone and I'll catch you next time. All right, this is the part where I kind of just uh, spew a bunch of random stuff that comes to mind. So I usually always forget something or mention too much of something else. Um, you know, I don't know. Big thanks to our partners. Like the year is coming to a close. So um, we're going to be shifting gears in the new year. We're probably going to change our live broadcast time slot from 7 p.m. Central Standard Time to 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, Rock Club Radio, we're probably going to spin that down earlier just due to the fact that, like, look, Anthony just mentioned second rut, but, uh, you know, I can see the numbers on the back end, and I can you know, see who's calling me quite literally as I do the the show. And uh, it's just been, um, you know, not as strong because we're, we're through the, the primary rut. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to keep that rolling right now. Um, but huge shout-out to Heated Hunts for sponsoring that segment. Uh, we appreciate those guys a whole bunch and a uh, really great product. I've, I had it out several times this year, and... Um, you know, I, I'm remiss because I actually lost one in the field and then I left them at Greg's house. So I didn't have them for gun season. So, you know, unfortunate because I was hoping that that would have been a, a good tool to have in the field during the gun season, but I'm an idiot and I lost one and forgot one. Greg found one that I lost in the field and he found the other one that I left in his garage. So that's great news that I didn't lose my heated hunt scent dispensers. Um, Look, our giveaway day is coming up. It's going to be shortly after the new year. So uh, expect to hear from us very soon. I got to talk with Greg to figure out what the heck we're going to give away. And if you have any input, let us know. Like we have money from the people that contribute to subscribing to our Patreon uh, subscription. If you don't know what that is or you want to learn more, or you want to enter to win, we've given away like thousands of dollars of stuff already and we've only done two giveaways. So it's a pretty good program to be a part of. And honestly, if no one else signs up, it's only better for the people that are in it because I think we had like 12 people last time I checked. So the odds of winning, like I think we give away uh, at least six things and there's a, a usually at least two to three big ticket items there. So I know some of you are still waiting on some things like inventory has been pretty backed up with a lot of the uh, suppliers and manufacturers and companies that we're dealing with just due to COVID. So uh, thank you for your patience there. We'll get you your stuff. It's on the way, et cetera. Um, other items, man, tactic talk season is done. Uh, most memorable hunts are getting spun back up. We're just building our bank of episodes. So if you have stories that you want to share, please do. You can send us a voice recording. You can PM or direct message or whatever the private message, uh, direct message, uh, the page, and we can set up a time to do a call and an interview. Uh, we'll get some stories shared. So I don't know. That's kind of what we have for now. Uh, thanks for following along, supporting us and uh, leave us a review and rating. I'm public. Yeah.